On this episode, we're talking about whether technology helps with work-life balance or whether it actually makes it worse. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 105. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of Second Breaks, where we talk about navigating a changing world of work, making leaps, and thriving in our chosen careers. We are continuing with, and in fact, wrapping up our summer theme on the podcast, Work-Life Balance. This is the topic that we've been talking about since episode 101, where I kicked it off. I kicked off this discussion with a bit of a rant <laughs> uh, about the fact that I believe that work-life balance is a personal thing, right? That's my position. I, I don't think personally that there is a gold standard out there to follow because work-life balance is, as Gary Vaynerchuk says, a conversation of one. And it's up to each one of us to define what our work-life balance is. In episode 102, we met Kathy Burke, who is a leadership speaker and the author of the recently published book called Conquering Business. And in that episode, we talked about how the state of being busy is neither good nor bad by itself. And that conquering business, if that's what you want to do, in fact, isn't an issue of productivity. Then in episode 103, we met with Nick Poplowski. Nick is a former lawyer who is on a mission to find a way to do the hustle, pursue the mission or pursue the goals with passion while skipping all the stress that goes along with the hustle normally. So is that even possible? Well, that's what his whole balanced hustle project is all about. And then last week in episode 104, Ayelet Marinovich joined me and we chatted about how working parents can maximize their limited time with their young kids, which leads us to today's episode. And today it's just going to be me, no guest today. And I wanted to explore with you whether technology helps or hurts work-life balance. And the reality is it's not black or white. We have a complicated relationship with our technology, which we both love and love to hate. So I'm going to share my thoughts around why or when technology is helpful and uh, when it's not. And also my thoughts on what we can do to keep our technology on the helpful side, right? After all, technology should be something that makes our lives easier. Our tools should make our lives easier, right? But before I get on to that topic, I just wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about the next chapter for Second Breaks. We're not going away. It's not going away. But for the first time ever, Second Breaks is going to go on a brief hiatus for the month of August. So basically, the podcast is going on a summer break. We're going to return on Thursday, September 5th. So we're still going to be a weekly show. And it's still going to be Thursday when new episodes drop. Now, when we return in September, on September 5th, we're going to start a new season or a series of episodes on the topic of side gigs and side hustles, something that has become normal in today's working environment. So when I started working, first full disclosure, depending on which study or model you use, I'm either 
the youngest of the boomer generation or the oldest of the Gen X generation because I'm right there at the cusp. So either way, (laughs) I am from a generation of workers who joined the workplace prior to the internet. And back then, the goal was to get your degree, find a good job in a stable company or stable industry and work up the ladder. Now, that model, for all intents and purposes, is now defunct, right? Companies and industries are constantly in a state of change and disruption, and that has resulted in an ever-changing and ever-evolving employment landscape across all kinds of work, doesn't matter what you do, right? So when I joined the workplace, sure, there were stories of side gigs and side hustles, but they were more exception. They were more the exception than the norm. Nowadays, it's not quite the exception anymore. It's not so uncommon to hear that someone has a side hustle. We are using side hustles today to learn a new skill, to explore a passion, maybe to jump on or test an opportunity, to start another source of income, or to start something that could lead to a new career or to a career change. So that's really why I wanted to spend some time exploring this space, this topic of side gigs and side hustles, by profiling different folks who are actually doing this, meaning folks who have a full-time job and also running a side gig. I'm also going to bring stories of folks who have successfully transitioned and who made their side gig their new career. Now, not everybody who starts a side hustle intends for the side hustle to become their new career. But some do, or some have done that. So I wanted to also bring those stories to you. Uh, Why am I doing this? My hope is that by exploring this topic from different angles, that it will spark some ideas and inspire you and also help you plan your own side hustle so that you can go into it with eyes wide open. So that's starting in September. And to make sure that you don't miss the series, you want to start subscribe today via whatever app it is that you're listening to right now, or if you happen to be listening to this episode on the website, right below the audio player, you could find a bunch of options for you to use depending on where you like to catch your podcasts. Okay, so let's get on with today's topic, technology. Does it help or hurt work-life balance? All technology since the beginning of time was invented to help make our lives easier. Think of the different modes of transportation from the horse and buggy to the first automobile to Tesla. Or how technology has helped us consume the written word from the beginning of time, from the first time that we were able to record words on a parchment paper to the first printing press to Kindle. Or the evolution of our means of communication from snail mail to email, from the telephone to the now ubiquitous smartphones. The value proposition of any technology has always been to improve our quality of life. And if you think about it, technology has done precisely that. It has delivered on its promise. Technology makes things easier and faster for us to do. Think about how Google has made it exponentially easier to find pretty much anything (laughs) on the internet. And with voice search, like Siri or Alexa, searching for things 
is now even faster and easier. So I was talking to my nephew a few days ago. My nephew is 14 years old, and I was telling him how he would never experience how it's like to spend hours and hours um, in the library going through books and encyclopedias in order to finish a paper. Because now with Google, with easy access to things digitally, he doesn't have to do that. He would never experience that fun <laughs> of um, of going through physical books or spending hours in the library to look for the, you know, to, to research your projects, right? Think about how YouTube makes it easier for us to learn pretty much anything, right? If, if you want to learn how to cook or do something, there is a good likelihood that if you go to YouTube, you're going to find some tutorial on how to do it. PayPal has made it much, much easier to pay and send money to anyone, to anywhere faster and stress-free, relatively speaking. Technology also makes things more accessible and available when we want things or when we need them. So the internet access through our smartphones makes everything easily accessible everywhere, anytime, anywhere we are, right? Cloud-based technology, this this technology that allows us to save our work up there <laughs> on the cloud, it has given us the ability to access our work or whatever it is that, you know, our pictures, our images, wherever we are, whatever device we're using. Kindle, my favorite electronic device, because I'm a bookworm, gives me easy access to the books that I'm reading without the hassle of carrying the bulky versions. Technology has also helped us stay informed and connected to the people, to the things, to the places with which we want to remain connected. So all of social media basically does this for us, right? It makes it easier for us to stay connected to family and friends. We are quote-unquote, in theory, more connected with each other because of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the like. Streaming media technologies like Netflix and Hulu and, you know, and now with Apple Podcasts, the, the whole podcast technology basically allows us to stay connected to the people that we want to stay connected with, to the music, to the movies, to the TV shows that we want to be connected with or to have access to regularly. So, as an example, um, Joanna Penn, who I often mention on the podcast, she's my, one of my role models. I follow her on pod, uh, I follow her podcast, Creative Pen. I listen to it, uh, religiously. I listen to it every week, uh, whenever the new episodes drop. And it is my way of connecting to her to, uh, it is my way of keeping in touch with, this person who is my role model from afar. So it's much easier for us to connect with people who otherwise we would have a harder time developing relationships with through the technologies that exist today. So these are some of the things that technology does that makes our lives easier, but those are not the only things that technology brings. With it comes a myriad of stresses, complications, to-dos, and new tasks, new things that we wouldn't otherwise be worrying about had it not been for the technology that, that brought it to begin with, that brought it to our lives to begin with. So number one, 
technology can create the pressure to always be available, to always be on. So think about your habits around your emails and your texts, for example. This communication technology made it easier and faster for us to send messages to each other, to communicate with each other, but it also brought with it the pressure to read and respond to the message as soon as it comes. Now, is that is not necessarily true, of course. Often people would say, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect you to read the email right away or to, to, to read the text in the middle of the night, right? But, uh, even though it's not necessarily the expectation of the sender, that is how we feel as the receiver anyway, right? The pressure to read, the pressure to respond. Number two, technology brings or introduces a level of complexity to our lives. So consider, for example, the number of passwords that you now have to remember or to manage across your devices, across the apps and the websites that you access. I don't know about you, but my list of passwords that I'm having to manage is as long as my arm. And I have this password management process that I, I explained I explained it to someone recently and she goes, what? That is complex. It, it, it's not complicated to me, but this is how I manage my passwords, right? Because I want to keep or I want to maintain strong passwords because number three, technology creates new stress. The reason that we want to use strong passwords is so that we can protect our information from security breaches, from the bad things out there on the interwebs, right? The thing is, even if we kept a robust password management process, we're not entirely safe <laughs> or immune from the security breaches that happen to the companies with whom we do business. So I remember the very first time that I read news about a company that had experienced the security breach and how millions of user passwords and credit card information was released and all that kinds of good stuff. Now, it's not even such a big, uh, shocking news anymore. It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's commonplace, but it's no longer shocking. It happens more often than we want it to be. So that's obviously stressful, right? If you find out that your personal information could have been hacked, could have been exposed to baddies. That's a stress level, right? Or the other kind of stress when you can't remember your password and then you get locked out from your account. That is stressful. I, a member of my family got locked out from her Amazon and from her iTunes for such a long time. And she wasn't able to manage those accounts because she couldn't remember the password. And it was such a big deal to, to get back into it. Uh, or think about this. This is a stress that I hear all the time. Think about the stress that you feel when you've hit, you feel that you've hit the send button on that email or that text a little too fast, right? So this, this communication technology that allows us to send messages faster is also creating this stress now that, ooh, oh no, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have proofread that or maybe, you know, I said, I should have said that differently or something like that, right? So that sort of stress didn't or wasn't something that we used to worry about when our communication was primarily made in person or via snail mail, because we would normally read and reread the letter that we wrote before we 
sealed the envelope, right? Technology can promote addictive tendencies, which then eats up our time. Apps such as Facebook and Instagram and all the video games, these things were all designed to be addictive, which then takes up, or shall we say wastes, a lot of our already limited time. And number five, there is always a learning curve with the technology that we live with today, and we feel like newbies all of the time. So there is this book called The Inevitable Understanding the 12 Technological Forces as That Will Shape Our Future. It's written by Kevin Kelly. It's an excellent book. I highly recommend it. And I I have a lot of takeaways from this book. I'm not finished reading it, but once I'm done, I'm going to write a longer blog post to share my takeaways. But if you want to check out the book <laughs> before my blog post, I'm going to put a link on the show notes. But one of the things that Kevin Kelly says in the book is that technology is always in a state of becoming, like the apps, the devices, the software that we're using today and you know will be developed going forward. They're always being updated constantly. It's always evolving, right? There's always a need to upgrade the new version, that kind of stuff. And because the speed of change is now so fast, we barely have enough time to get used to something before it changes. And we have to get used to it all over again, or we have to get used to the new version all over again. So here's a very small example. Apple announced that it is retiring iTunes. Now, iTunes, the technology itself, isn't so old, right? But Apple is replacing it with a set of apps with better functionality and more targeted to our specific needs. So the, basically, there's going to be a separate app for listening to music or listening to podcasts or reading a book or listening to audiobooks or watching movies, that kind of stuff. Today, all those things are all like bunched together in your iTunes. So going forward, there's going to be a separate app for each one of these things. In the long run, I'm pretty sure these apps will prove to be better, in fact. But in the short term, we have to figure out what these new apps are and what, what happens to the stuff that's already in our library. How we're going to make sure that all the stuff that we've already downloaded are in the new app. You know, we have to figure out how it works. And of course, there are always hiccups whenever anything new is being rolled out. Now, iTunes, this thing is so small, it's inconsequential. It probably won't take us very long to figure things out. But I am sure that you've experienced or had similar experiences at work with new system updates. There's always a learning curve in a period of getting acclimated before things become normal again. And I have heard so many times in my previous job, because I was involved with a lot of systems and process rollouts, I've often heard when people say that the new, the updated version of a system isn't helpful or didn't make things any easier. In fact, it made things harder. And that's usually because there's a level of acclimation or a learning curve that's associated, especially with a big update. Now, these are some of the negative effects of technology, and you can probably come up with a few more. And uh, given this, what are we to do? How can we make sure that technology, that the technology that we're using isn't ruling us? and in fact, is helping us with our lives. So I want to share with you five things that I am doing that we can all do to make sure our technology is helping and not hurting our work-life balance. And if you have suggestions, I would love for you to add your thoughts in the comment section below. So number one, set boundaries for your technology use. 
both for work or for personal use. With all the technology that run our lives today, there is no off time anymore. We have to create these boundaries ourselves. We have to determine ourselves how much or how little technology will play in which part of our lives, in which of our experiences, and when, right? It's up to us to figure that out. And similar to what I said in episode 101, this is all personal. There isn't a gold standard. I don't believe in a gold standard as far as this is concerned. It's up to you what works for you. So for example, I often read a book before I go to sleep. I have decided that Kindle makes it easier for me to read a book at night. It's easier for my eyes because it is backlit. So I allow this technology, the Kindle, in my bedroom. But I no longer bring my laptop or my iPad inside the bedroom. That was something I used to do. But I no longer do that because these technologies, the laptop, the iPad, they entice me to do other things that I don't really want to be part of my bedtime routine. So those are the boundaries that I've set for myself with respect to my electronic devices and my bedtime, nighttime routine. Number two, Remember that many of the free apps are designed to be addictive. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these social media apps, they were all designed from the get-go to be addictive. Because if you think about it, these are free, quote-unquote free apps, right? But we pay for them. We pay for them through our attention, the time that we devote to using it, and the data that we actually input into these apps. So... Here's an example of how much I realized how addicted I've become to one of these social media apps, the Facebook, <laughs> the Facebook. So about a year ago, I decided to quit using my personal Facebook account. It actually surprised me how much I've become addicted to it because I have had to actively fight the urge to check the feed for the first few weeks after I've decided to quit Facebook. I had to do everything to make it more difficult for me to go on Facebook. So for example, I deleted the Messenger app. I moved the app itself, the Facebook app itself, all the way to the last screen of my smartphone. So I had to like really scroll to it if I really want to use it. So I used everything that I could do to be a deterrent to me using Facebook. That's when I realized that while I wasn't paying attention, I had become addicted to Facebook. I had become addicted to the dings and the hearts and the thumbs up and the comments. This thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. I never had that before. And now I'm feeling it. I am feeling FOMO. When did that happen, right? And the funny thing was that I only realized my level of quote-unquote addiction to Facebook after I decided to quit it, right? So it is now close to a year since I've quit using Facebook. Uh, so just a clarification, there is still a Second Breaks Facebook account. So if you look for Second Breaks on Facebook, you will find it. It is active. But the Lou Blazer Facebook account, well, you will find it, but Lou Blazer... <laughs> doesn't use it so much anymore. I no longer feel the urge to use Facebook. There is zero desire to check the feed. And I suppose I can say I'm cured of my addiction. But just like all other addictions, it, it is easy to relapse. So I'm very vigilant about falling off the wagon. 
Number three, use what works for you, not necessarily what's new and shiny. So I hear of new apps and tools almost every week. And there was a time when I would eagerly download or subscribe, try out these new apps, all of them promising to be better than the ones that I am already using. But I found that every time I did that, it ate up so much of my time and the rewards or the incremental improvements were not really worth it. So now I don't jump too quickly. I do a bit of recon. I basically, I look for an example of a use case, like someone, how someone's actually using the new tool. And one thing that I found really helpful when I'm checking out a new tech, I identify one specific task that I am already doing today, whether I'm doing it manually or through another tool. And then I try to work on that same task using the new tool or the new app. This helps me decide whether switching to the new tech would be worthwhile or not. Number four, resist the urge to multitask. Now, I have included this here because technology makes multitasking easier. You're attending a meeting and also reading and sending out emails. You're watching Netflix and also working on your laptop and texting with your friend or coworker or family member. Doing several things at once is a trick that we play on ourselves. We think that we're getting more things done when we do things simultaneously. Actually, our productivity goes down by as much as 40%. The thing with this thing called multitasking is we're not actually multitasking. What we're doing is we're switching tasks rapidly, right? We're shifting from one thing to another. And by doing that, we are interrupting ourselves. We're interrupting our focus and we're losing time in the process. So if anything, multitasking simply splits our focus and spreads it across different things that we're trying to do simultaneously. This ends up eating more time, taking up more time, more energy, and often leads to increased stress. So I say, even though our technology allows us or entices us to multitask, we have to resist. And number five, spring clean your technology at least once a year. So this step, it's all about organizing, clearing out and cleaning out the technologies that clutter our digital life, our smartphones, our devices, and really our minds, right? I found a great article that was written by Inc. Magazine, or it wasn't written by Inc. It was published on Inc. Magazine. I can't remember who wrote it. But the article outlines the five things that we can do or should be doing at least once a year to organize and clear out our technology. I'm not going to read the article to you today, but I will put the link in the show notes so you can find that uh, in the show notes, uh, which you can find at secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts and look for episode 105. So, okay, so these are five things that we can do to keep our technology on the helpful side of things. I'm sure that you can come up with more. And if you have more suggestions, more tips, I would love for you to add that in the comment section in the show notes. Again, that's secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts. Look for episode 105. But in closing, I just want to say, you know, it's it's important or it's helpful for us to remember that technology in and of itself is neither good nor bad. The reality is we now live in a digital age, digital world, where it's easier than ever to communicate beyond 
the office walls. So the boundaries between our personal and our work lives are fuzzier than it's ever been. It is up to us. We have to determine the boundaries. How we use technology can determine whether it can help or hinder our work-life balance. I hope you found this episode useful. For the show notes and other resources for your career move or your work-life balance even, go to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts and look for episode 105. And remember, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this as well. So add your comments or your thoughts around keeping technology on the helpful side in the comment section. Now, this wraps up our summer theme on work-life balance. As a reminder, Second Breaks is going on a brief summer break. I will be back in September to start a new series of episodes on side gigs and side hustles. If you are not subscribed yet, now is a good time to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss our return. And of course, subscribing to the podcast is free. But if you want to connect in the meantime, please tweet me or find me on Instagram. You can find me at Second Breaks on both platforms. I would love, love, love to hear from you. I would love to hear what you're doing this summer for your work-life balance. Or you can tell me what you're doing as you're listening to the podcast. That's even better. I will be back in a few weeks. I hope to see you or chat with you then. Have a great summer and keep on making your dent, my friends. Cool beans.